shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mashazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Guys, oh my gosh, what an amazing episode of The Greatness Machine. I got to interview Sarah Edmondson. She was the whistleblower that was in front page of the New York Times, took down the cult Nexium. Uh, this was the, the subject matter for the docuseries The Vow, which had tons of acclaim during uh, COVID. And oh my gosh, we go deep on Nexium and the courage it took to take it down and all the things about, I mean, this is like literally like my brain was on fire interviewing her and talking to her about her experience. So um, stay tuned. You've got to listen to this episode. Hope you enjoy. Guys, welcome to this episode of The Greatest Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mishazi. And boy, do we have a special guest. I'm so excited that we have Sarah Edmondson here. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Darius. It's a total treat. Oh, my gosh. So um, if you don't mind, I'm going to do a little bit of housekeeping here. Um, the, the Greatest Machine, we're about... Oh, yeah. The Greatest Machine, we're about two things. We're about people who are living their passions and those are, that are creating greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. And we we're going to be talking to Sarah today about all these amazing things that she's working on. Most notably, though, we're going to be talking about how she took down Nexium, this, this cult up in upstate New York. It was a worldwide uh, organization that she took down, became front page news in the New York Times. There's a show on HBO about it. I am so, so pumped to have you here and to talk about all the greatness you've, you've created in the world. So welcome and uh, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's do it. <laughs> so um i know um you know we we, we were uh, talking earlier and you're like oh man like there's always business people on the show and mm -hmm. and I, i'll say this that i i do i'm a kind of a multifaceted person and whenever i people have an interesting story i just feel like there's so much to be learned and and you have man i, I really i mean listening to your book and seeing the show you really are a, like a profound person and the fact that you 
had the courage to do what you did with Nexium. That, that was really one of the main reasons I, I wanted you on the show. And, and I had this opportunity where a mutual friend of ours, Cameron Harold, hit me up. He's like, hey, Darius, you want to interview Sarah? And I was like, fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> Shout out to Cameron. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, love yeah. Cameron. Cam, Cam is the... Cam's I love him too. He's, he's, he's a good, good buddy. And I was, I was really into it. And, and even to your point, it's, it's like a lot of people, a lot of our listeners are business people. People are people. And I think there's so many, so much lessons to be learned about, you know, courage and stepping up and doing tough things. And I think that that can be applied to any part of life. So absolutely. Um, yeah. And also I feel like given so yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's really why I wanted you on the show. Oh, thanks for, thanks for having me. Well, I, at first I was like, oh, this is more, you know, sales and business oriented. But when I looked a little closer, I definitely saw, like I always, I always watch podcasts or listen to podcasts before I go on just to get a sense of tone and vibe and think about what in my experience might be helpful nuggets for the, for what seems to be the audience. And I, I saw a lot right away. And depending on what questions you ask me, just in terms of like my journey and what even got me into Nexium in the first place, in terms of being a seeker and a, an advocate for growth and being, you know, wanting to be on the growth path and going into personal development and things like that. So I, I've learned a lot and I, I hope to, to share some of the wisdom from the crazy part of my life with your audience and give them the nuggets without having to join a cult. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean that that that's the goal, right? Mm-hmm. Get the nuggets. Don't 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 join join the cult. <laughs> it depends on the cult, you know. It's, there's probably some some decent ones out there where you might want to join them. But um, <laughs> if you don't mind, I'd love to give your your formal bio. Is sure, that cool? yeah. And then we can uh, jump into some, please the show. Uh, so so look for listeners who are maybe not necessarily familiar with, with Sarah and her story. She uh, Sarah is an actor, voice actor, producer, author, and podcast host. Um, notably, you know, we're going to be talking a lot about your her involvement. She was. Uh, really moved up the ranks and became highly involved in the Nexium organization, ended up becoming the whistleblower, taking them down. And we were, we were talking about it a little bit before the show. I was like, you know, that takes fucking courage to step up and go against your friends and your community and do the right thing when you see wrong, like wrongful things happening around you. So we're talking about that, uh, notably for people that are familiar with the story or not. Uh, there's a HBO docu- documentary, two part uh, docuseries called the vow which is where I became familiar with the story. Um, she also wrote a uh, award-winning book, uh, Scarred, which everyone needs to go get and listen to. And, um, and we're going to be talking about your, your podcast, A Little Bit Culty, which is getting a ton of uh, acclaim and a ton of, 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 of uh, attention these days. So, so excited to have you here and, um, and to get to talk about all these amazing things you've been doing. Awesome. Um, if you don't, Sarah, if you don't mind, I'd love if you could um, kind of, Give us some of your origin story. Sure. You know, a big part of greatness is where people's stories and where they came from. If you don't mind, like, kind of give us a little bit of your origin story. Absolutely. And before you do, there, uh, thank you for that bio. It's very kind of you. The only thing I have to correct is that my book is not award-winning yet. Maybe you're just future casting and there's going to be an award in the future. But so far, it's just doing its thing out there in the world. Oh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, yeah, I, I forgot to tell you I'm a time traveler yes. and that's happening in about 18 months. I really appreciate that. And when, when it happens, I'll be sure to <laughs> shout out to the greatest machine. So my backstory is I'm from Canada, born and raised in Vancouver. I'm the child of parents who were in the, my mom's a family therapist. My dad's a now retired school counselor. Both of them were very much politically and socially active. They always taught me, ironically, to leave the world better than it than when you, when you found it and to make a difference in the world. I had 
big, bold dreams of wanting to have an impact. That's always just something that's been part of my value set. I think that my goal when I like left high school is that I'd become an actor and then I'd become, you know, famous enough to have a voice and like have causes and somewhere along the, those lines I imagined being I don't always get into this in interviews, but given what you just asked me, I thought I I wanted to help. Like I'd been bullied in high school and, you know, had a did, you know, was not one of the popular kids and I thought maybe I could help young women and I didn't really have like a particular message or, you know, angle just wanting to like be an advocate or have a cause, like just it was a very loose concept. Either way, I knew I wanted to to have to have an impact, and then I got into acting, thinking that would be the thing. That and that ended up not being the thing because it was not. I didn't find it particularly meaningful. I did work as an actor and never got famous, but also felt like I was working. But it was also not fulfilling. It was it didn't fill that you know search for meaning that I always had. And around that time, I was also getting into personal development. I was reading books like The Artist's Way, Celestine Prophecy, Think and Grow Rich, attending seminars, probably many of the same seminars that you probably have heard of. And in that time was also, it was like the early 2000s was when What the Bleep came out, What the Bleep Do We Know? And my boyfriend at the time was a filmmaker, still is, very talented, got accepted into a film festival where the director of What the Bleep was speaking. So I was on this like kind of semi-spiritual personal development journey, trying to find you know, meaning in my life is also really craving community. Being an actor is kind of a lonely, a lonely place unless you're like in a cool theater troupe, which I wasn't. And we ended up at this film festival and I met the director of What the Bleep. And his whole thing was, and especially with the movie, which I'm not necessarily an advocate for now because my sort of beliefs around it have changed. But at the time I thought, wow, this movie, this little independent film shifted consciousness. And I want to be a part of media that shifts consciousness. So when I met Mark and he told me about this community that was like-minded humanitarians changing the world. And there was a seminar that was created by one of the smartest men in the world. He was a humanitarian and he was um, creating this conscious community. I was like, I'm in. And I didn't Google it or or anything. I just jumped in. I trusted Mark. And it just happened that there was a, a training a few weeks later. And if you saw the vow, I, you know, I get into this and I get go into much more detail in my book. But the long and short of it is that I was Totally. I was skeptical at first, a lot of red flags that I over I overrode my instinct on for a number of reasons, which I'm happy to get into later if you want. But ultimately, I stayed and my level of commitment and loyalty and allegiance grew over time. I eventually stayed for 12 years. Lots of things happened in that time. I don't know how much detail you want in that 12 years, but eventually I woke up, like what I call waking up, snapped out of the indoctrination, which took many years to complete. And once I, w- once I was awake and saw what was really going on, which was this personal development program, which I had loved and this community that I loved was like a, it's like a front for some very dark, nefarious things that were happening behind closed doors, which I was not aware of. And while I do appreciate you saying, you know, I took it down, I didn't take it down a lot by myself. There was a group of others, whistleblowers, and, and their stories are out there also. And together we worked to expose the truth, initially through law enforcement. They didn't know what they were looking at. Then through the media, and the media got the attention of the FBI. And the rest is history. The leader is now – the trial happened very quickly. He w- he flew to Mexico. They found him there and eventually convicted him of seven different counts and sentenced him for 120 years in jail and five years probation. 
So yeah, that's the that's the sh- short version of my story. And here we are. Yeah, that, that, that's that's an amazing like four minute version of of a much bigger yeah. story. I mean, that's I just said eighteen years condensed because I, I was there for twelve years and then. I've been out for almost six. I'll be out for six this May. So, uh, you know, so I'd love to kind of go to the, the beginning part because, you know, the, the, some of the things that stood out to me, in, in, especially in your book, was it seemed like you, to your point earlier, that you were lo- really looking for like this purpose, right? And and trying to, to find purpose. And, and you were 28 years old, trying to find purpose in your life, and then found this group that, you know, that in, you had said in the book as, you know, your people that you consider, wow, these could be my people. Yeah. Um, what do you like, you know, for, for people out there? And I think it's interesting is that we as humans are tribal, like mm-hmm. that's, we're all like, I think from a DNA perspective, looking for that, cause that's just how we survive the saber tooth tigers, mm-hmm. you know, 20,000, 30,000, hundred thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? Like, what, what was it about this group that really got you, you know, attracted to them? What was it that really like got you wanting to be a part of them? Because obviously later on you, you figured out different, but Early on, what was it that really drew you in? I think that there was a couple of things. One is it felt very supportive, and that's something that I've always looked for in my life. And to to be surrounded by people who were all working towards, you know, bettering themselves and bettering the world and having like this collective mission felt really good. I've since learned that, you know, in I'm going to say high control groups versus cult. There's an us versus them mentality and a righteousness that we think that we're what we're doing is better than everybody else. And it's the only way. And that, you know, that felt really good. It's like being part of a secret club. That was a big part of it. Also to feel like I really, even though I didn't ever get super close to Keith, I really respected Keith at the time, obviously not now. And for what the tech that he claimed to have invented, which was basically a, you know, a culmination of a number of different modalities and seminars and, and workshops that he had, had essentially stolen from, but he packaged it in a way that was really transformational. So if you took a five day training and you were open and you applied all the tools, it really was like a full upgrade to the operating system is what was the, you know, computer, the shitty computer metaphor that we used. Sorry. Can I swear on this podcast? I forgot to ask you. Oh yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yes. I drop F-bombs my favorite time. Same here. And to the point where my three-year-old son just got in trouble for saying it at preschool, but (laughs) it's just life. It's got to learn it somewhere. Anyway, sorry. Sorry, everybody at the school. Anyway, I did blame my husband for that. I was like, it must be my husband. (laughs) I don't know why he swears so much. I lost my train of thought. What was it? saying but you're talking yeah I, I lost it too uh, um, no you're talking about um uh, i think about how you know he you know oh respected on, yeah computers yeah yep. so i i i did i did feel like i had found the path the answer and after even to the point where i said to my parents like you know therapy the things that you're doing with your clients even though they've been to school and we're actually trained professionals that's not going to get to the root cause of their people's issues what we're doing does and I felt it was like a cure-all for any any challenge that anyone could have in their life. And I'd seen evidence of that to a degree. So all those things combined and some really cool people. There's also a lot of people that like I never would have been friends with otherwise had I not encountered this community, some of whom were wonderful people, some of whom I don't miss at all. But we were kind of thrown together and the collective ego of our group was very powerful. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you. They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin-D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin-D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. Yeah, um, that that seemed pretty obvious from, you know, from anyone <laughs> yeah. that's seen the vow. You, you, you can, obviously, and let me ask yeah. you a question just so I, I want to make sure I'm, I'm not being offensive. If I say high control group, is that like the the, the correct way of calling it I a mean, cult or can I call it a cult? You can call it a cult. I it It's just a word that I know polarizes people. And I'm always trying to think about if somebody's in something and they've been tra- – like we were trained that people are going to call us a cult. And that makes sense because they don't understand yeah. what we're doing. And what a cult does is it, it this, this is what we were told at the time, is that if someone is calling it a cult, is this a way to sort of discredit it without saying what's bad about it? 
right? Which is true. If I say, oh, that's just a cult, people don't go, oh, it's just a cult. It's bad. But like what specifically are they doing that's bad that makes it a cult? And there's lots of things that I've since learned, you know, abuses of power. There's certain tactics that a group does. Ultimately, it's a big lie. There's a bait and switch. Like, hey, come take this personal development program. And in 12 years, we're going to put the leader's initials on your, you know, on your pelvis in a, with no anesthetic in a sisterhood ceremony. Like if I had known that's what I was getting into, I never would have said yes. Right. Right. So there's a lot of these groups are built on deception. And if you can say, if you can point those things out and there's other things I didn't get into, but it's a little bit more specific and more helpful than saying cult. It's it's a good short form, short, it's a good short form term for people to use, but it's also can be sensationalized like, Oh, sex cult. Like that's good for getting the FBI involved, but not good for the people who were a part of it and don't want to be associated with a sex cult. And then they're really embarrassed because they are attached to this thing that's really shameful. So I'm mindful of it as an advocate. You can say whatever you want. I'm That's part of why we have our podcast now is to shine light on some of those things because we don't want people to join cults or groups that use uh, control or coercive control. But if you use certain words that have been stigmatized or like attached to things like Jonestown where it's like don't don't drink the Kool-Aid and people shaving heads and, you know, wearing white robes and chanting. If it doesn't look like that and what people think of as a cult, then they think, well, that's not a cult. It's just a personal development seminar. Right? Yeah. So it it just sort of breaks it down. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I'm a word warrior. Um, I want to, I want to use the right words. Yeah. So I'm going to use high control group now. Sure. Um, <laughs> by the way, there's, there's something you said in the book that I like, I, it's one of my favorite things Tell me. is, is you talked about Keith, yeah. who was the head of the, the group, uh, that he was a big on word salads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I call people out on that all the time. I, when I, I swear to God, I, I took notes and I capitalized that with four explanation points. Word salad, LOL. So tell us about his use of word salads. I'd love to hear about yeah, this. Yeah, this is something that I, I think is a big red flag now when, when people tell me about their groups is is that these leaders like to use big words and, and talk in these pontificating ways to the point where, and the way Keith did it is he'd have these forums where he'd sit on these high chairs above everybody else, like a king, and everyone sit further down and we'd all look up at him and, and listen to him talk and ask questions like, how oh, Keith, like, you know, how, like, what is love and what is self-love or what's the nature of, I don't know, everything from global warming to death, you know, like life questions. And he'd, he'd answer. And most right. of the time there'd be enough truth in it that I'd be like, wow, that's like probably really profound but also maybe pulled from chicken soup for the soul. And then the other things where I'm like, I totally lost that. I, I, I was I, I dis, like disassociated, disconnected, was thinking about my to-do list and no idea what he's talking about, but everyone's like smiling and nodding and thinking, okay, I just missed it or I'm not smart enough, only to find out years later that most people felt, felt the same way, that there was wow. – that he and, and word salad – now is actually a segment in our podcast where we look at different groups and we try to find some bullshit quote from the leader. And my husband, Nippy, who does great impressions, reads it aloud and we laugh at how ridiculous the, the, well, the jargon, the, the, the slogans, the, the quotes from these leaders. And everyone's like, wow, that is so profound, but really like you're saying nothing. 
Oh my gosh. I love, I, I love it. I, I call people on word salads all the time. Well, <laughs> especially, especially I'm sure you do. If you're a word warrior, I will say the main, one of the, one of the biggest red flags that we see now is these groups like to change language and they have their own words, their right. own dictionary. I mean, we, we had our own set of terms. There's hundreds of words that are English words, but are specific to what we did and have their own. We got weaponized like Heath completely weaponized. Can I tell you a quick, so- a quick story? Yeah, please go for uh, it. You might want to look this up because it's, it's pretty crazy. But one of the people who's still loyal to Keith recently went on a podcast, a really big podcast. I don't know if you know 3H3. No, 3H3. Uh, no, I don't, um, I don't know that one, no. I'm embarrassed that I don't remember the name of the of it, but I've, my dyslexia has kicked in. It's either 3H or H3. It was a huge podcast. And he is just trying to get on any podcast that he can so he can talk about how Nexium cured his Tourette's and Keith is innocent and how the FBI planted evidence. Therefore, the whole trial should be kicked out and free Keith, essentially. And he didn't research this guy. His name is Ethan Klein. And he did. Ethan also has Tourette's. And Ethan was like, so offended that Mark is going around saying that he's like, his Tourette's was cured from Nexium. Anyway, all of this to say it was a big scandal. This is happening right now. This is back and forth, this big scandal. And somebody wrote in his, the guy with Tourette's brother and, and said to Ethan that he was being dishonorable with the way he kind of, because he kind of mocked this whole exchange and was laughing at him like, dude, like you're a brainwashed cult member. Like look at the trial transcripts. Look at all the other allegations. Why would the FBI plant this evidence when there's all this proof? You know what I mean? And and they were laughing at him and this, wow. his brother and, and listen, I don't want to see anyone be laughed at, but it was also like a farce. I mean, it was a farce and his brother wrote in and said, you're being dishonorable. And the, the guy's like, what am I like? What are you a samurai? Like, but I knew what that meant because dishonorable was a really important word. Like you wanted to be an honor. The whole point was to be an honorable person. And if you spoke out right. negatively about anybody else, that was dishonorable. But hearing somebody go like, what are you, Samurai? Like I had this like secondhand <laughs> embarrassment for the 12 years that I used that word seriously. But it's part of what we've learned in, in these groups is that it's it's there's a closed loop system of logic where the leader's protected. So in this case, Keith was protected by anyone talking shit about him because anything negative would be considered dishonorable. Right. So it, it well, yeah. what was the term what was the term you guys used for someone that was let, that was that spoke negatively? Suppressive. A, name, a suppressive. Yeah, which is from Scientology yeah, yeah. also, by the way. Yeah, it's, you know it's funny. So you were talking about the the take a test, and then twelve years later, I'm I'm getting branded mm-hmm. on a table. I had a, a my only experience with with groups like this was with Scientology, actually, mm-hmm. where I took an I was like 19 uh, in Southern California in like the mid 90s, and I took one of these like you know like personality tests, and I mailed it in, and then I got invited to this like free uh, like assessment. And I told you earlier, I'm a, I'm a self-improvement athlete. I, I was like that when I was young and I show up and the, and, and, and I will say this, the guy that, that I met, I swear to God, I thought he was homeless and, and he had like, like he had like grime under his nails and he it smelled like he was like, like he had like a weird, like 
drank too much the day before smelt a uh, smelt pheromone to him and i was like uh yeah dude i'm and he started doing a lot of the tactics that you describe in the book but i was like yeah bro you're scaring me and i and i left good for you um so it was you reminded me of that when, when you just said what you said around this uh, taking this assessment or this quiz or something and then all of a sudden next thing you know you're you know you're you're deep in the rabbit hole so no one i think goes into this stuff assuming it's going to happen to them it just kind of happens what do you mm-hmm. what do you think is I, I mean, having been deep in one of these organizations, do you think that this was like early on the intention of the organization was to become what it became? Or was this just like a slippery slope and it evolved over I time? I think the second thing you said is what happens in a lot of groups where the leader, and I see this a lot in like in the yoga world where there's a really well-intentioned teacher who just like the ego gets to their heads and then they're next thing you know, they're having sex with all the students and, you know, nobody nobody's calling them out, Right. That's very different. I think with Keith, he planned this from the beginning. What I've learned from his inner wow. circle, yeah, who's who's since left and we're in touch, that he look, he I think he went to an ashram in upstate New York, and he saw how the leader was idolized and was like, I want a piece of that. And he'd done other things. He'd other he'd been had other scams and he'd been in trouble with with the law. There was a court case that he you know he had a, a pyramid scheme that he got in a lot of trouble for, and there's, you could do a whole other episode on that. So I think when he saw that, he thought that that's my next gig. And he needed Nancy Salzman to be a legit coaching and goal setting facilitator to have, you know, a, a, a legitimate seminar program that could lure people in. I hundred percent believe from the beginning, he's like, I'm going to do this to get a fresh supply of young women and money and just to, you know, keep my needs met. From the beginning. Yeah, that's interesting. And what's also interesting is I think I recall in the book that you said that when you first met him, you described him. I mean, there was a few things that like stood out to me. And, I, I, and it's been a couple of years since I saw the HBO series. But you, you described him as like a schlub. <laughs> and and it was and that you and there was like the three things that, that I when I saw it, I, I, I fucking cringed. A was like, yeah, he kind of looks like a schlub to your point when you first see him. And I think it was him on the volleyball court yeah. or something. And then, and then the, like the playing volleyball and the lip kissing, mm. like the combination, I was like, what the fuck? It, yeah. Like, <laughs> so what, like, was it, weren't those like, were you like, what, did you have a what the oh, fuck? Oh yeah. Moment? I mean, I mean listen, I did. there was, there was red flags from the beginning. And I think this is, I, I, I think this is clear in my book that I was very uncomfortable even from day one. But one yeah. of the brilliant things that they did is they, the gaslighting starts from the beginning and the gas so, so right. you're doubting your own experience. And they do that by saying like, when you're working on your shit and you're here to grow and you spent like, well, I spent over $2,000 until 2005 for a, an actress living in a basement suite. $2,000 is a lot of money. And and I was there to like get my money's worth and grow. And they're saying, you know, you're here, got to pay to play. You're going to feel uncomfortable. You're working on your shit. So if you're feeling uncomfortable, don't leave. I had an instinct to leave so many times. But I have the voice in my head. Okay, I paid this money and I'm here to grow and successful people work on their shit, right? So here I am working on my shit. So from the beginning, we're overriding our internal compass, our, our intuition, right? So so, so yes, when I – and also the other thing is, is that they would say if you're uncomfortable, it's going to point to something that you want to work on, which there's truth in that. Like the sashes, like there's this ranking system like martial arts. I don't want to wear a sash. I thought that that was tacky. I thought it was like, I mean, I wouldn't have used the word culty, but just weird, you know? And I, if you bring that up, then it's like, yeah, a lot of people have problems with the ranking because a lot of people have authority issues. 
probably true. Probably people do have authority issues and they don't want to be in a room where someone's like, you know, like in the military, this is my, my superior. I'm superior in, to you in some way. So that's, there's, there's truth in that. So when I was uncomfortable with the kissing, like you just brought up, and I would say to someone like, why is he kissing everybody on the mouth? I'm like, well, you know, in Europe, people do it. People kiss on both cheeks. People kiss on the mouth in certain, I, I believe, Latin cultures. I don't want to get that wrong. But like that does happen in other places. And so this is a community where people are really close. It wasn't just Keith. Like we all did it. So it's it, in the end, right? So it's yeah, it became normalized. And I think that's what his goal was, was to normalize things that were – a little bit, a little bit weird, and eventually it was normalized. You know, polyamory. He had, you know, up to fifteen to twenty spiritual wives at any given time. How how did he how did he back so so going back mm. to that though, and that was actually my, my next question. Uh, first of all, I'm Persian, mm. half Persian, and there's a lot of lip kissing, mm-hmm. and it was always weird for me. <laughs> Even then, yeah. <laughs> and I'm in the culture, yeah. so yeah, yeah, grown men kissing young men, like yeah, dude, it's just always. I mean, they're kissing each mm. other; it's just part of the culture. Right. But but I was always, I mean, I remember being like just cringing when my dad's friends would try to kiss me. Ooh, yeah, then, like I was like 16. Yeah, um, and it's awkward. But um. <laughs> I don't think I've ever admitted that on the podcast before. Um, <laughs> Something so, new, so, <laughs> Darius. It, it did happen. You know, the worst part about lip kissing uh, is when your dad and his buddies are drinking like scotch and eating uh, pickled garlic, Ooh. and then they want to lip kiss. <laughs> yeah, story story for another time. Yeah, um, but um, but yeah, you know, what's interesting is that, like as you're going as you were there longer and longer. You know, one of the things that you mentioned was that he, they claimed that he was celibate, right? right? So, he, Well, no, he, you... he came up from the beginning. So, that was from the beginning. I was told that he was celibate. Right. Yeah. So so when all of a sudden, like, like I can't imagine that, like, when was the first time you found out that he was sleeping with people? Was After. Seriously at the, <laughs> well, no, that's how I, that's how the, I woke up. No, that's how I woke up. So then this is, this is the part of the book that you didn't get to where, where it gets like, it reads like a very intense thriller. Because everything happened very quickly. I was having doubts. I was trying to figure out how to get out of DOS, which is the secret women's group within the thing where I'd been branded. And I was – I knew things weren't good. And I and I even said when it happened, like, guys, they think we're a cult already. And we're now, like, branding each other. I didn't know it was his initials. Finding out that it was his initials and finding out that other women were being invited to have sex with him or they were given that assignment was how I found out about the sex. I didn't even find out till after we left about – all of the women that he was having sex with, even before DOS. And that that's how it started. When he started, when he started Nexium, himself and the women around him were in a polyamorous relationship when Nexium began. Himself, Karen Unterreiner, who we had as a guest on our podcast, which is a fucking fascinating episode. Um, who else was there? Then Pam Kafritz and then Barbara Jeske. Like these were the the women in my, in my that I talked about in my book that like the women that I looked up to and I thought that they were like his team around him. I thought Pam was his assistant. Right. I thought that they were all working together to help him achieve his goals. Like they would drive him and like make him breakfast and stuff. I didn't realize they were his spiritual wives. And that was kept from us. It was kept from most people unless they were part of the inner circle. And the inner circle was the harem. Wow. So yeah, I didn't I didn't know. And when I knew it was a whole other found out it was a whole other lo- level of betrayal. Yeah. How did, how did, how did that feel for you? Like, like, I mean, <sighs> I, 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 that, at this point, how many years were you into next? Well, I was tw- and, in and for 12 years and at varying levels so- of, of commitment. But my, the height of my time there was like seven to 10 years in the last three years I was like pulling back. I'd had a baby. I was like kind of just 
putting in my time. I never thought I was going to leave, but like I had other priorities at that time. Like I had, I had, a, I had a little kid. That's when they brought me into the to DOS, I think, to make to lock down my loyalty. And we found out in the trial also potentially to be brought into the inner inner circle because Keith had plans for me, which obviously never got to happen. Thank goodness. But yeah, that was revealed in the trial that that's how we thought he'd get the married women. Oh, yeah. so he so he was like, oh, I want like screw your your, your husband like, who was also part of this group. Yeah. He's like, I'm just I'm gonna hook up with the married women too. Yeah, they're gonna be part of my my harem. Yeah. And and was he successful no. in that uh, outside? <laughs> oh, outside of that? I mean, not with, not not, with me. Not with no. you. Sorry, not, no. not with you. Um, not with you, but with uh, with uh, with anyone else and that you know of? Not that I not with any of the married women. I know he tried, and that's where I feel like you know, he really derailed in terms of his understanding of reality and what was like <laughs> going to be okay. Like a lot of the things that we did were a bit, you know, they were weird and they were like, okay, we wear sashes and we take, you know, take off our shoes when you go into a seminar and a lot of people are, you know, counting calories in an extreme way. And it was extreme, you know, it was an extreme form of personal growth, but like this really took things too far. And then for him to think that he would be able to brand the married women with his initials and like somebody wasn't going to go ape shit on him. Like the fact that one of the husbands didn't go beat his ass before he got put in prison is a, mir- is a miracle for him. That, that was, that was actually where my head went. Cause I was like, if that was my, if that happened to my wife, I'd beat the fucking shit oh, out yeah. of that dude. Listen, if Nippy like, was here, I, I, I would, he would tell I'd you probably, how much he wanted would, to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I mean, like, it, I, I might be devious about it. I might hire someone, like, like a Russian mobster <laughs> or something, to do it. But that motherfucker would have a baseball bat. I'd break his fucking legs without. You know what? So if yeah, Nippy like, was here, like, and I could go get him, I think he's downstairs. But he would tell you, like. <laughs> How I mean, he still fantasizes about it. Like at seven years out, he still fantasizes about it. He knew that if he did that, that that like yeah, he you know he's got a, a wife and a, at that time three year old. My son's almost nine now, and that would have been really bad for everybody. And it wouldn't have really you know, it's, karma's karma works out. Like one hundred and twenty years in prison and five years probation is probably better for him. Yeah, yeah, you no, know what no, I mean. Look, look, to your point, it's more, more of like vengeance is sweet. Yes, and, you know, for, but but at the same time, it's like you, he, your husband has a lot to lose, right? So like this guy got his. Yeah. What? So you know, we're. It sounds like they were like trying to your point solidify your loyalty. Yes. Um. You you found out about uh, what what year? How much was that year twelve when when the branding ceremony? Yes, took place? and I left very shortly after. It's a very okay. Small so so you're twelve. You're twelve years deep. You find out about the betrayal and then you're like, dude, I'm out. Like, this is fucking insanity. Like, how did that feel for you? It was, I mean, it's, there's so many things. One is that, you know, I was a, and I'm not saying this in a proud way. It's something I have to own, but I was a top recruiter. I was was one of the number one enrollers, not recruiters, what we called it. And speaking of words, by the way, Keith said enrollment is building humanity. Synonymous. I'm just building Mm -hmm. humanity. Right. So I'd done that for so long. I'd vouched for him. I'd vouched for this community. And to find out that not only it was a, you know, bad and nefarious, it was like the complete opposite of what I had said it was. So that's a real mind fuck. You know, that's in this space, it's called a moral injury. It's like when a soldier finds out they've been a part of a war that wasn't actually for the reasons that they they thought they were going to war. And that right. can really, really can fuck with you. And it did. And 
So there's this, and then there's shame. And then there's like, you know, every person who's ever said like, it's a bit weird, or you might be in a cult. And I'm like, you don't understand. It's not a cult. And like, then I know you talk about your network all the time on your, on your podcast. I had a huge network. That's one of the reasons why I was able to be such a good recruiter is because I tap my network and I'm, I'm a good salesperson. And so I burnt my fucking amazing network with spouting this shit. Like that's, that's like, imagine, imagine that you use your whole podcast to like spread the good word of all this stuff. And then you find out that you did the opposite and you hurt a bunch of people in the process. Like it's devastating. And I mean, we, we motivated very, you know, got the troops organized to tell everybody what, you know, what had happened to me and get people out as quickly as we could. That happened really fast, but the betrayal and like the, you know, these are people that came to my wedding. You know, these are people who were our son's godmother and, I don't, a lot of those people I've since forgiven because I know that they were part of the, you know, the indoctrination. Like no one, no one signed up to be a part of that. Everyone who's awake and has apologized, welcomed them back with open arms. The people who still think that Keith is good and branding is the best way to build a woman's self-esteem. No, no, that's, I'm I'm waiting for them to wake up and I hope that they do. What what percentage, so what percentage of the group if you, you know, like uh, at the higher upper levels are still like Keith. Oh, it's a very small percentage. People. It's like less than Got 1% it. probably. I'm just doing the math in my head. Got yeah. It. And about this that. Is not of the entire group. This is of the upper group. You're I mean, like there's a few people. Let me, t- let me tell you the numbers that I know and you can tell me what you think. In the, tw- okay. in the 20 years it was in existence, 17,000 people went through the training. Okay. At any given Vanguard week, which was his summer retreat where everyone came to like pay respect and live our best lives for 10 days in the up, upstate New York, there was never more than 350 to 400 people. So at any given time, I'd say there were 400 active people in terms of upper ranks and people that would like stop their summer to go celebrate with him. And okay. so when we left, I would say the max of active people would be about a thousand of those 17,000. Okay. That's, that's, I'm, I'm, that's an, I don't have a list and anywhere between 400 to a thousand people max. That we yeah. were like, okay, we're all going. Everyone else was like, I, I took that training 10 years ago. Like, I don't, I'm not involved, sure. right? It's just a training. People come and go. But in terms of active community members, say max 1,000. And then say there's okay. less than 20 left. So not many, not many oh, people. Oh, there's, there still are 20 people active like, that, that are active members. That I know of, yeah. And, and only wow. maybe five to 10 that are public about it. Wow, yeah. okay. And, and, yeah, and you kind of—I I think you kind of answered one of my questions. Was you know, I, I was one of my questions was if, if there was no such thing as Keith Ranieri. I don't know if I pronounced his last name proper or not, but do you believe that his followers followers would have ended up in another group or or being caught up in, or were, were they just being caught up in the moment? Or this guy was so fucking like devious that he he could turn. Like, do you think that there's a susceptibility to what to to, to members and their ability to? become like a follower of his or do you think that this is just his masterminding that that, that got it to happen or a combination for some reason i didn't follow that question can you ask it again yeah. well so so you have these core group of people mm. that you were avidly like supporters yes. of his right and my, my question was do you think that 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 this was all by his design that he took people that were great people good people that 
and got them to follow him or, or, or do you think there was just the, there's followers in there too? Cause you clearly were not a follower. Like you were someone that fought this thing mm-hmm. right away. Um, you, and in other like, words, there seems like there was, yeah, are you asking like, why, mentality. like, why don't they leave or, or like what makes somebody no. stay or what makes somebody follow or. Yeah. yeah. What what I'm asking mm-hmm. is, do you think that there's a certain type of person that is more susceptible to this type? Oh of yeah. Thing? Okay. Gotcha. Yes. And no, I've talked to a lot of experts about this. This is like, a big question. And there's a consistent answer amongst all the experts. And we have had pretty much every cult expert that I've, maybe there's a handful I haven't been able to get on the podcast yet, but almost everyone says the same thing, which is that it can happen to anybody. It's not a particular type of person mm. per se. And there's certainly when I got out, it was like, you know, naive, vulnerable, weak-minded, stupid, um, flawed, broken, you know, things like that. And certainly that can happen. I think mostly from what I've seen is that it's more of a situational thing is that a certain type of person, uh, isn't exactly the right words. It's more like when in your life, like when you're at a crossroads or like you're looking for something or you're just, you're in between jobs and you're trying to figure out what's next and, or you're, you know, depressed or you're low or you're, you know, had a divorce or whatever the thing is. And the, the, the right person at that time that you trust says, Hey, like we're having a dinner party. It's not like, hey, join my cult. It's like, you know, we're going to go play golf. <laughs> and then you're, that's the first step to, and we're, we're going to this meeting afterwards or we're going to, um, you know, having a Bible study or whatever the, the, the next step is to, to bring people in. And I think that there's people who are naturally skeptical and there's always people that say oh, that will never happen to me. And that maybe that's very possible. Maybe that would never happen to someone who'd already been like, I don't think would happen to me again. That's possibly sure. true. Um, I, I definitely tried to recruit people and they were like, I used to be a Jehovah's Witness. And so I, I, I know you're not a Jehovah's Witness, but it feels similar. And I'm like, oh no, we're not a Jehovah's Witness. Like you're just projecting. But like now since I've studied Jehovah's Witness, it's like a very similar structure. So that wow. experience saved that person, you know, that kind of thing. But people who say it would never happen to them, I think they're the most susceptible because they don't take the time to educate themselves about how these things happen. And yeah, the red flags aren't going to be as clear because you're just like, oh, I'm too smart for that. And the thing that happens the most, um, which I think is just hilarious and not hilarious, is that people always either – now I think it's changed a bit because there's so much cult education and podcasts and series and things out there where people are – and things like The Vow, which I think really was a big service for for – cult survivors and and people who've been through situations and abuse survivors in general is that people said to me, I didn't see it before, but now I can see how that could have happened. And I could see how that would have happened Mm -hmm. to me. And I would have signed up for that actually. And that's good because now, and I get letters about this daily, people writing to me saying, I got invited to this thing. And because of the vow or because of your podcast, the book or whatever, I was able to see this red flag. And I said, no, thank you. Like that's a huge win for me that we can educate people in that way. But the funniest thing I was going to say, I I tangented, is that people say, um, not the people who understand, but other people like, yeah, I'm so sorry that happened to you. That that wouldn't happen to me because, you know, I'm too skeptical or whatever. And then they say something that they're a part of. And I'm like, dude, that's totally a cult. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like. But but a landmark form is the best. It's like. (laughs) Don't get me started. Honestly, in my opinion. Landmark and Nexium are the exact same structure, minus the branding. Well, yeah, it's funny that the the um 
as I mean, I know a little bit about Landmark and I have some friends who are part of, uh, what was it called? Est before yeah. that. Um, and, and, um, the, the biggest part of it that I see overlap is NLP, yeah. right? And that you guys leverage NLP, NLP. You know, weaponized NLP. Yeah. And the other right? structure, and I see this not just with Landmark, but all the, what's called LGATs, large group awareness trainings, is that ultimately they want to give you enough that you get like a high, like you feel elevated and it's that rah, rah, kind of Tony Robbins, like, woo, amazing. And at the same time, pinpoint the thing that's wrong with you, the thing, the area that you're broken and you need to fix, and then present that this is the only path to fix it. And that's mm. a lie. What? That's not true. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. No, yeah. no, of course. Yeah. So look, I have a question for you um, because you, you brought this up really early in the show and you didn't name the name, but, but um, what the bleep, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's Dr. Joe Dispenza, right? Yeah. I, he was interviewed. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't his thing, but he was interviewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like I actually never heard of him till this summer, and then I read a couple of his books mm-hmm. and and actually did some of his meditations, and actually they were pretty helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about? Are you, do you have an, a, an opinion on him and his work? I haven't done a deep dive on him, but it's I would say about him what I would say about every all these other people in that space is like read the book, take the meditations, use the tools, and put them in your life. But if you go like study with him and like become a devotee of him and drop your podcast in your life and make his work your life's work and make it your life versus putting the tools in your life, that's when it's a problem. And that's a very clear distinction. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's that's really good. Good. Yeah, advice. I think totally makes yeah. good sense. I, I have a mm-hmm. question for you. Um, so so and I brought it up before the show, but um you know, I was funny in researching your, your life and, and, and I think there's a, for most folks, they saw that, that you were a great recruiter, a, a enroller, excuse mm-hmm. me. And, and there was this whole element of Hollywood actresses that were coming into Nexium. And from my understanding, and when I did research on you, it was like, well, you were a working actor during this time. Like you were doing a lot of work. It seemed like your work actually picked up the, the longer you were in Nexium. Mm-hmm. Um, what, like, tell us a little bit about that because obviously you had this one world where you're an actor and you have this other world where you're in this like, you know, hardcore group. Like, how did those two coexist? It was bizarre, actually. I mean, originally it helped me with my acting and it helped me get over my nerves and auditions. It helped me leave my not so great agent and get a new agent. Like, that was an emotional limitation that I used the tools to overcome so I could break up with one and start a relationship with another one, which is hard. Like that, those are things in business, the business side of acting that I really found those tools helpful for. And I've since learned that's not ESP or Nexium. It's just like business 101, you know, how to have the hard conversations and scripting those things in a way that's not going to basically not navigating your, your emotional challenges around those things. Right. And and sales. Those were things that were like super helpful in the beginning. Um, oh shoot. I just totally had a brain glitch. What did you just ask me? What was this? <laughs> oh no. So I was asking about, yeah, yeah, no yeah. worries. It's, it's all good. I'm asking I did you a lot warn of you that so I was, My question was yeah. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn you sleep. Yes. Um, nap after. No, uh, go, uh, the, the question was like, you were, you, ha- you had this successful oh, acting, you know, right. acting right, career right. coexisting yes. with Nexium. Like, yeah. So, so I'd, I'd love to. Yes. Back on yeah, track. So, so there you go. That was actually part of how I was able to, to sell and recruit smoothly is because I was able to say 
these tools helped me in my acting career. And because I knew so many actors and I was legitimately booking more and more successful and things like that, it was, it just grew the community very quickly. That's why our community in Vancouver was largely actors because you, you bring people in that you know. And I knew actors and I brought in more actors and so forth. And ultimately it changed over time. There was, there was on the height of it when things were great in Nexium. I had did a film that got in Toronto film festival, TIFF, which is if you're in the, that world is like, really it's like sort of the height of the pinnacle of, of success in Canada, at least is like to be in a film at TIFF and I was making money. And I, I was a real advocate for the curriculum because I said the proof was in the pudding. Like, look at me in my life. I'm, I went from a basement suite to a condo on the water, you know, I'm acting. It's, I have a voiceover career now that voiceover was very, very lucrative and I was able to use the tools to break into that industry, which I, I still do. And then there came a time where it was a conflict, like to be a leader in Nexium and also to be um, an actor was was difficult. I could I was having a hard time doing doing it doing both of that both of those things. And they would say things like, "Well, what's more important, you know, building humanity or doing Hallmark?" And I'd have to say, "Well, of course, building humanity is more important than doing a Hallmark movie." Yeah, that kind of thing. So it. it I started to started to I started to say no to acting, much to the chagrin of my agent. I never let go of voiceover, which was very smart of me because when things ended, I had a career to go back to. And ironically, also, nice. I started doing Hallmark movies again. It's like they they just sort of picked me back up, and I and I went right back to it. I, I, I have stopped since then, having another child and COVID and whatnot. But maybe I'll get back to it eventually. Yeah, like uh, uh, going back to what I said a second ago, I was like I could uh, like I'm so fascinated by by your story, and this is uh, this is I mean, there's a reason why there's like uh, like how many episodes is of the vow is it like 16 episodes something like that, 20 episodes. I think there's nine, and then um, in the first season, and then six in the second. And we have I think yeah, 86 so podcasts so far in a little bit culty. Yeah, so so there's Lots like, of uh, like I don't know. <laughs> few hundred hours of content mm-hmm. right so there's the we could the, the, like we're not going to get through uh, all of it here on the greatness machine mm-hmm. but um you know look obviously you 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 kudos to you and to your husband and and i know that mark and all you guys like did what you had to do to take down nexium and i know there's a lot of people involved in that um and kudos to you for like really transitioning into this new role. I'd, lo- I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the podcast because you mentioned it a little bit throughout the show, but, but that's a big deal and you guys are kicking ass about <laughs> it. I'd love for you to talk about it and teach us a little bit about what's going oh, on there. Oh, thank you. I, and I appreciate those kind words. You know, when we left, we didn't, we, this was not the plan. This look, it was really just, we have to get out and save our family. And then we realized we had to save everybody that we could. And we, we were successful minus 10 or 20 people. And then, you know, the vow was we were filming not to make an HBO docu-series. We were filming to document what was happening, mostly to protect ourselves in case they tried to come after us, which they did. And um, I had no idea that that footage would turn into The Vow, which came out during COVID. And that was wild because we were all, you know, at home. And then this, you know, there's the Tiger King and then there's The Vow. And my life blew up. And what was really interesting about that, and Nippy and I talk about this all the time, is that we were in such darkness, like that, you know, Keith is a fucking evil person. He's he's next level evil. And there's so many people like that that are coming out in various docuseries. Like this is all being unearthed right now. It's not just Keith. But then when we got out, so many incredible people crossed our paths. And one of them was somebody who reached out, and I'm ex-evangelical Christian, and we make podcasts from Citizens of Sound. And they said, you should make a podcast. And we're like, really? But like, 
isn't the vow kind of cover it? And I'd also written the book. And I, and I, so I put it on my Instagram. I said, who here would want to know more in a podcast? And like one of those polls and everybody except for one person said, yes, yes, yes. But that one person was my assistant. And I said, why don't you think I should do a podcast? He's like, you were so busy. Like, what are you going to have time to do a podcast? And she's, she's, she's right. I, like, I tell her often, you were right. This is a lot of work, but I love it. And then we met, somebody messaged me on LinkedIn who had, a, who was part of a, an ad agency and it was incredible writer. And she's like, you should do it. You should call it a little bit culty. And she pitched it to us and she's our producer and now our best friend, Jess Tardy. And it, it just, it grew out of like, you know, two simple mics in our living room to our full-time career. And we've been able to interview the most incredible guests, experts, survivors, advocates, whistleblowers, and people who are like, not only really, I'm going to get emotional, really changing things in this space, but people who are, you know, were real pace cars for Nippy and I, like Mike Rinder and Leah Remini from Scientology in the Aftermath, and Evan Rachel Wood, who has been an advocate for women and exposing what happened with Marilyn Manson, her ex. And yeah. talking to spiritual leaders who might be a little bit culty, but are also just spiritual, like Eckhart Tolle, and to be able to have those conversations on our podcast um, is, like, ironically, the meaning that I was looking for 17 years ago. So I wasn't expecting this. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no worries, man. Was, I, I appreciate the vulnerability, yeah. and and it's I didn't I didn't. I don't ever try to take people there. But, uh, <laughs> well, I, I think that the fatigue helps me, but when I really settle into what that means and what we get to do and yeah. um, that we get to help people in a way that I thought I was helping people. And um, it, it truly is very fulfilling. That's why I'm not really acting right now. I don't feel the need. I don't feel the need to act um, because I my life is so full and rich and we have, we have two kids and we get to – I mean, yesterday I was at, I came out into my yoga studio and this woman stopped. She's like, oh my God. And I knew when I heard you were moving to Atlanta that I would meet you and told me her story and she was in tears and we hugged. And it happens almost daily that someone's seen the vow or listened to the podcast and our story has helped them to get out of something, whether it's a culty church or Mormonism or um an MLM or some, or an abusive relationship and to know that like we're just having these conversations and it's in people's ears and it's helping them is, you know, I can't, I can't ask for anything more than that. Truly. I love, I love it. That's uh, I'm so excited <laughs> for, for all the work you guys are oh, doing. Oh, thank you. Um, I want to respect your time. I, I have, we, we like to end every, every show with, with the same question. So I'd love to sure. ask you this question and then we'll get wrapped up and we can kind of let people know all the different ways they can connect with all the work you're doing. Great. Is that, is that yeah. Great. Cool. So, um, you know, here at the greatness machine, like I mentioned, we're all about people living their passions to create greatness in the world. So, um, this is, I mean, I feel actually, this is the first time I'm asking this question where I'm like, I don't even, (laughs) (laughs) you've kind of answered it already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Sure. What is the number one, what is the number one barrier to creating greatness in the world that you've overcome in your life and how did you overcome it? I think I overcame it by facing some real adversity and, I don't think I ever really had before that. And ironically, Keith used to say that character is not character until it's tested. You can just talk about the kind of person that you are, but I got to figure out like really what I'm made of and what my true character is. And I'd say it's because of that. I love that. Um, 
I have a favorite saying, which is "fuck that guy," and that's how I feel like Keith. Just so we're just so we're absolutely fuck um, that guy. We have a segment in a little bit culty called "That Chaps My Ass," where we talk about things that that chat my ass about different different groups, different cults, and yeah, it's, the whole the whole system is chaps my ass. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, when your when your character was tested, you took that motherfucker down. Yes. So, you know, and bad on him. Um, well, gosh, Sarah, much, so much fun. So much such fun. An amazing episode. Thank you so much for having you're, me. You're, you're such a good guest. Um, I'd, I'd love for you to, you know, let our and listeners know, like, how can they, you know, learn more about your stuff? Just give them the download of where they can connect with you and your work. Thank you. If they want my full story, I'd love for people to, to buy or listen to the book. It's on Audible and I narrated it. So I got to put my voiceover skills to use, which is cool. The Vow, obviously on HBO, but I think our biggest baby, our biggest project is a little bit culty and they can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on Patreon where we do live Zooms Q&A with our guests afterwards so people can listen and we send them a care package with a, hold on, I'm going to show you. Stay right there. We send them a little bit culty hats and presents and uh, should have been wearing this. And uh, yeah, Instagram, I'm rarely on Twitter, but I think Instagram is also a good way to get a hold of me at Sarah Edmondson or at a little bit culty. Cool. You guys, you heard it here. Uh, a little bit culty is the podcast, the book, which I I'm halfway through. It's an awesome book. Scarred. Check it out. I'm going to finish it this week and um, yeah, go, go follow Sarah and all the work she's doing. So Sarah, um, such so much gratitude for me having you come on the show so grateful to get to hear your story and learn about all the amazing things that that you've been through and that you've overcome and the work you're doing and yeah we really appreciate having you thank you so much for having me it was really fun you asked great questions and i look forward to sharing it when it comes out awesome guys uh please uh as leaders we're sharers and givers uh share this episode everyone needs to hear this uh go get the book go listen to the podcast and with that said Peace out. We love you guys. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode, you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. 
On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.